You're listening to Orange County's only station with critical business information, Critical Mass, with your host, Rick Franzi. And welcome to today's program and this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. And it's heard exclusively here on octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we do encourage you to consider listening during our broadcast times. If you do that, you might be able to join in on the conversation. And we have three guests today. Two doctors and Rachel Owens. How's that sound? It's a great lineup. I'm excited to have each one of our guests. And if you'd like to participate in any one of the three conversations that I'm planning to have this afternoon... Simply, and you are listening live, simply find the community chat room section of octalkradio.net's website, log in with your Twitter handle. This will bring you right to our engineer at the Nerve Center across the glass from me here in the studio. And today it's Paul Roberts. Paul will be able to bring your thoughts and ideas to my attention and possibly I can work them into the conversation. If you're expecting to hear my, my interview with Dr. Bill Dorfman, cosmetic dentist, then hold on, because we'll be with him a little bit later in the show. If you're tuning in to hear my discussion with Rachel Owens, partner at Succession Strategies, well, just wait a few minutes, because we will have her on a little bit later in the program as well. Our first guest is Dr. Raymond Safar. He is Vice Chancellor with Chapman University, and I've invited him to be on on the program today to share the latest information on their just-released Orange County Purchasing Manager Survey conducted by the university. The Purchasing Manager Survey is conducted quarterly and analyzes the direction of manufacturing activity in the state and the county. Welcome to the program. Tell us a little bit about your, before we get into the survey, uh, the just-released survey, could you tell us a little bit about your professional and academic background? Uh, Yes. Uh, I have been with Chapman University since uh, 1985. I am a professor of economics and management science in the School of Business and Economics at Chapman University in Orange. Uh, Before that, I was for uh, three years at California State University in Fullerton in the economics department. And before that, I taught at the University of California in Santa Barbara, in the economics department, and that's where I received my doctorate in economics. Uh, currently, at the School of Business, I'm also a research associate in the Anderson Center for Economic Research, and that's where we take the survey of purchasing managers. So, Dr. Sefer, that would be a great uh, uh, way for me to ask you, explain what the California and Orange County Purchasing Managers Survey is, and what it um, kind of how it got started and what it is today and and I know that we you had just released your most recent one here earlier in April, so give us a little bit of background on the purchasing manager survey yeah, certainly, please call me uh, Raymond. Uh, we started the survey back in nineteen eighty eight uh, for purchasing managers in manufacturing in Orange County. Uh, a few years later, we started taking the survey for all of California because there was no such survey of manufacturing uh, in California. Uh, 
we also made a change from other surveys similar to ours in that instead of asking the purchasing managers what the performance was in the previous month or quarter, we decided to do it about the future. That is, we asked them, what do you expect the, the performance to be of the manufacturing sector in the coming quarter? Uh, for example, we ask, how is production going to be in the coming pro quarter compared to the previous quarter? Is it going to be higher? Is it going to be the same? Or is it going to be lower? So the questions are mainly about the production level, the inventories, uh, the commodity prices, uh, not prices at the consumer level, just commodity prices, Mm-hmm. Supplier deliveries, whether they are going to be faster or slower, new orders that they are facing and expected to face, as well as the expected employment, whether it will improve or not improve in the coming quarter. Let's look at the latest survey then, Raymond, and what what did these purchasing managers tell you about the future based on their responses to your survey? Uh, Yes. The survey that we took at the end of March, which is the end of the first quarter, uh, related to the expected performance of the manufacturing sector in the second quarter of this year in all of California. Uh, We compute what we call a composite index. If the index is above the number 50, it means that we expect an expansion in the manufacturing sector. If the number is below 50, then we expect a contraction in the sector. For example, in 2008, we had several quarters below 50 because of the recession at that time. For the second quarter of this year, the index stood at 59.8, which is very close to 60, which means that we are expecting the manufacturing sector to continue to expand in the second quarter. And since the reading was only 52.9 in the first quarter, so we are expecting the second quarter to grow at, at a much faster rate compared to the first quarter of this year. Well, that's encouraging, and I know that you had mentioned that you're, one of the other things that the survey tracks are in, uh, forecasts on employment. Correct. I'm wondering what in that survey did the purchasing managers say regarding their, their firm's plans for employment in the same time period? Yes. Uh, in the last several quarters, uh, actually, uh, since uh, a low value in the fourth quarter of '09, we have had the index at around 53, which is barely above 50. The interpretation is that the, many, the manufacturing purchasing managers were not expecting high growth in employment in California, and as a matter of fact, in Orange County as well. In fact, the California manufacturing employment now stands at around 1,235,000 people. In the first quarter of 2010, which was the lowest that we had after the end of the recession, the number stood at 1,228,000. So in the last three years, we have added, unfortunately, only 7,000 employees in 
manufacturing. That is not a very high increase in three years. But nevertheless, at least we have not gone down, and we are trying to recuperate and go a little bit higher. But the comments that we have received from the manufacturing person managers is that the growth rate uh, in this in the second quarter is going to be only at 53.5, which is a very low growth rate as far as employment is concerned. That's much lower than what they expect the growth rate to be, if, for example, in the production level that they are anticipating or the new orders that they are anticipating to receive. And let's talk a little bit, Raymond, just briefly about the type and size of manufacturing companies that you asked to participate in the survey. Can you give us on our audience a sense for the type of companies that respond to your survey? Uh, certainly. Uh, we survey a broad range of companies all over California in all the manufacturing industries uh, in order to really get a representative uh, sample from all the manufacturing sector. And if at some point in time uh, we do not get enough or we get too many in one particular industry, we weigh those answers in order to make them proportionate to the actual size of that industry within manufacturing. Uh, so we do have very large companies and we have medium size. We have only a very small number of small companies because mainly we want those that employ large number of employees, meaning of 50 or more. 50 or more. Okay. Uh, you, you also look at three industry groups, high-tech, durable goods, and non-durable goods. Correct. Is there anything uh, that you would like to share with our audience kind of on how those three groups responded or any differences or or anything regarding those three industry groups that you survey? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, The first group, we call it high-tech. It includes computers and electronic products as well as aerospace products and parts. The index for that uh, group was at 57.5, a little lower than the other two groups. But nevertheless, we are expecting electronics and aerospace products to uh, grow in the second quarter, actually faster than the first quarter. Uh, The same is true about the other durable goods that is other than high-tech. These include, for example, uh, fabricated metal products, machinery, electrical equipment, furniture, uh, medical and dental instruments. Those also, their index stood at 60.3, which is a really healthy growth rate in production as well as new orders. But like the other sectors, it's only very small expected increase in employment. And the third group is the non-durables. That includes, for example, uh, food, apparel, uh, paper, printing, chemicals, and plastics. Uh, their index stood at 60.9, which is the highest of all uh, the three groups, and we are expecting a healthy increase in production uh, as well as uh, new orders. What's also interesting is that all three groups 
now are expected to increase their levels of inventories of purchased materials. These are the materials that they are going to be using to produce in the future. And this is normally a good sign, because when purchasing managers increase their inventories of purchased materials, it means that they are expecting to produce more compared to the previous period. That in itself is a very good sign. There seems to be glimmers of hope throughout your survey, and I'm, I'm wondering if, if you could share with our audience if they would like to get the um, press release version, which came out on um, April 5th, I believe. Yes. How, how do they find this survey online if they would like to download it and sort of look at the more detailed responses that are contained within the survey? How do they do that, Raymond? Uh, yeah, uh, they can log on to chapman.edu and go to the Anderson Center for Economic Research, and we have uh, different publications about the research that we do, and among them, the responses and the survey results every quarter for the purchasing managers. Well, I appreciate you giving us a, an overview of what, I, what I'm going to take away from this uh, conversation is... Uh, cautious optimism that the forecasting managers are uh, the purchasing managers are correct and forecasting uh, continued growth for the manufacturing sector both here in Orange County and in California. Thank That's you. That's correct. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll have you on next quarter to see how the response uh, predicts for the third quarter. If I'll you'll be happy join to us join then. you again. All right, so you've Thank heard you heard here first, ladies and gentlemen, on Critical Mass Radio Show, Dr. Raymond Safar uh, with Chapman University. It's a fair. Yes. Okay. My engineer is going crazy on the other side. So that's probably why Dr. Safair asked me to call him Raymond because he was tired of me mispronouncing his last name. He's a gracious man and we'll definitely have him back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Owens. I can pronounce her, her name. A sponsor of our program and a multiple guest, have multiple appearances on the program, is next to talk with us about the four key elements to success of business clients. So we're going to come back in just a minute, but first we're going to listen to these words from our commercial sponsors. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, 
and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Welcome back to Critical Mass, the radio show. I am Rick Franzi, your host, and we would like to thank those of you that are listening to the program live today here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net, and also those of you that find us and follow us as a podcast, maybe off of Apple iTunes or Stitcher or one of the other various podcasting sites that we are using now to get our message out to you, our listening audience. Each month since the beginning of the fourth quarter last year, we average over 7,000 and sometimes over 8,000 downloads of individual episodes of the radio show. We truly appreciate you doing that. Thank you for making us a part of your business learning curriculum. And as we continue to bring guests who have knowledge that you can learn from both what they know and what they've experienced. And speaking of one of those guests who can share some of her knowledge, it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the program Rachel Owens of Succession Strategies. Rachel, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Rick. I appreciate being on today. I would like to share with you, just, or maybe have you share with our audience, just from your perspective, working with family businesses, being an entrepreneur yourself, being very invested in the entrepreneurial community here in Southern California, in Orange County in particular. Can you take a look at, from your perspective, the four key elements that are required to have success for business clients and for entrepreneurs and kind of talk through each one of those four? Well, that's quite a, a challenge for the day, but sure, I'd love to. Uh, I think the, the four key elements that we certainly have seen long-term with families and with businesses in Orange County is where did that initial motivation come from? And then once you start that business, how do you overcome the roadblocks to success? And then how are we going to sustain the business and ultimately how to develop a legacy? And that's- within that, I'm sorry, go ahead. That seems very logical, so let's start at the beginning, because it actually works really well with the theme for this month, which um, are featuring entrepreneurs who created businesses out of their passion. So let's start with your first one, which is the initial motivation. We've heard from many a guest who their initial motivation was just their passion around whatever it was that they built their business, but that's not everyone's story. So share a little bit about your first element, which is initial motivation. What we see, again, is um, what makes you jump out of bed and, and get ready for the day. You know, most many entrepreneurs tell us all, and you know this as well as I do, that they wanted to build something better or new. They had some idea that just sparked, I can do this better than anybody else. And part of that, I think, is being in control of their work life. You know, I've got this great idea. I could build a business around it, and I could have control for how that is going to happen and roll out into the future. And then, of course, gee, I can make money doing something I love. You know, I'd like to stop you right there, Rachel, just because it makes so much sense. But also, sometimes what I find business owners begin to realize is that as they scale their business, that concept of freedom sort of can evaporate on them. And then you look at this idea of of work-life balance. Uh, Have you experienced that in your relationships working with the family businesses that you've worked with? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Unfortunately, we all can get involved with just the absolute day-to-day-to-day grind. And I think what we find is um, we're lacking some business skills. 
and rather than um, reach out and try to find an expert or a, a vendor who can fill that need for you, we end up trying to do it our own, all, all of ourselves. And oh my gosh, now I'm wearing too many hats in my own business, and I lose that work-life balance. All right, let's let's look at your second element then, which is over coming roadblocks to success. I love this one because to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to be able to respond to challenges. I, I've had, well, you're our 676th guest today on the radio program. In the four years we've been doing it, ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to announce that Rachel Owens is our 676th guest on the program. And I can't think of one of them that couldn't speak to at least one significant challenge that they faced and roadblock to their success? Well, I think the number one that we've certainly heard in the last three or four years has been financing, you know, cash flow. How am I managing that cash flow? What am I using? Is the source of um, other people's money, you know, even my own equity in my own business or my own properties has sort of dried up. And so how we manage that cash flow, I think, has become the number one roadblock that many of our family businesses will tell us about. The other one is simply understanding marketing. Who's my market? Where, where do I find them? How do I attract them? All of the changes that are going on with the Internet and social media marketing, oh, my gosh, there are just too many directions for all of us to go and to be an expert in those fields. And you can do them um, poorly. You know, I, I've seen uh, people attempt to do social media marketing because they think they have to, and they actually lose the valuable time that they have in doing something that they didn't do very well. I think that's a perfect area for what you said earlier, too, Rachel, which is the opportunity to maybe find a skilled partner, supplier, who can help you to do it because it's, it can be dangerous if you try to do too many things as a business owner. You really do get diffused in your efforts in the business. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I know for myself that the focus to family businesses was a light bulb for me. It, this was a market that attracted me, that I knew I had the skills to work with folks who own their business and manage the family and the business on both sides. And there, there was my passion. There was the day that I said, aha, that's where I'm going um, now I know and I have a purpose for where I'm, I'm going to spend my marketing dollars, spend my time and energy, my education, and all those other things I can find experts to do. I can find a bookkeeper. I can find a business coach. It was a, a big turning point for us, and I know that as we talk to many families, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, finding what makes you tick, like I said, what makes you jump out of bed and go to work that day and Conquered the world is part of that passion. Your third point has probably never been more revealed to family business owners and business owners than through the Great Recession because you say sustaining their interest when the going gets tough. And I would have to say the past four or five years have probably been more challenging for more business owners than at any time in our you know, recent memory or professional experience. Oh. <laughs> here, here, that we're all preaching to the choir, aren't we? And, and it goes back to those good relationships with your customers, understanding who they are, but also evolving and adapting the business to the new marketplace. Certainly there are lots of examples in the world um, 
as to what has changed around you faster than you could adapt to it. I, I think Thomas Guide is one of those great examples of a business that evolved from a paper map into the GPS world. How did they know to do that? I think they took very good look at their market and a good look at their business model and made some changes early on that allowed them to to adapt. And the other thing that we see is is businesses looking for multiple streams um, of income and multiple market niches. You can't continue to do exactly what you did before and get different results. I think of it as people talk about their investment portfolio, having a certain amount of diversification reduces the risk. And, and I think for small business owners, having multiple revenue streams does reduce their risk as long as they're somewhat related so that you know their mind doesn't have to go crazy from different kind of challenges in the business. Although some people thrive on that. Some entrepreneurs prefer to have very disparate businesses. But in my experience, the ones who can really drive long-term success have these related revenue streams that are sort of independent of one another, but on the same kind of value proposition or position in the marketplace. Well, and I think that's one of the strengths of family businesses as they bring family members into the business is to utilize the skills or the interests of those other family members to maybe create a new market niche and have that person drive that initiative within the business. And it allows the whole family or that family enterprise to diversify in just the same way that you might diversify your investment portfolio. That's a great point. You know, the other thing is you were saying, answering that and talking about that point, I was thinking back to the some of the guests who've been on the program and multi-generational family businesses. I have, you know, people that have been in business maybe 30, 40 years, three generations type of a thing. I've heard more than... More than anyone talk about that, that group talks about making sure your business is relevant in the market. And I think that's a teachable moment for other family business owners that are listening or other business owners or top executives. Verifying that your business model, sort of what you said, you, you can't always be doing tomorrow what you were successfully doing yesterday. Really making sure that your value proposition has relevance in the market as technology and competitors in the world changes. Well said, indeed. And in fact, we see that for a lot of those second and third generation businesses, now they're talking about building a legacy in the community as opposed to just being here for the today and the now. But where is this business going into the future and what is it going to stand for in the future and what do I care about as an individual and having built this enterprise in this community? And for, for those kinds of families, we often see a, a huge philanthropic uh, initiative begin to grow within the family. It is a serious consideration for a successful family business to begin to plan for the legacy because it works on, a, you're right, on a bunch of different levels. I mean, I think at the closest to the family are the future generations of family members who may benefit from an ongoing concern. But then to your point, and I can think of a lot of successful family businesses just here in Southern California even, that have made a significant positive impact on the community through the different philanthropic work that they do and, and organizations that they support and maybe even have started. Thank goodness that they're here and thank goodness that they have that long-term uh, perspective in, in the world here. Um, certainly we have the Crane family who has, has a 
uh, funded a high school that's now being built in the north side of Irvine, well, is now up and running in the north side of Irvine. A, a huge legacy for this community. I couldn't thank them more for the kind of um, commitment they've made to Orange County in every way. And, and I do think, from I don't nearly have the experience working with family business owners that you do and, and the multi-generations, but I, I also think that family businesses take a inherently longer view of their business than any other business owner or, or a hired executive that I've ever met because they do see the implications for future generations of their family. It's a, it's a much more uh, um, powerful motivator for them to, to really look at their legacy and to figure out how to sustain it for future generations. How very true, and you, know, you just said a business that runs or that has been in business 20, 25, 30 years, which in parts of Europe and Asia, they would just laugh at us to call that a legacy business. And when you think about it, there are companies that have been in business for hundreds of years and have sustained multiple uh, turnovers and, and um, history has given them an awful lot of uh, challenges over the years and certainly are 50, 60 years um, doesn't mean a whole lot in the big scale of things, but if you don't start to plan today, um, or at least consider that as part of your legacy, uh, we know those businesses can indeed disappear if they don't evolve into the future. Well, you know, you, you gave us a glimpse into the aha moment when you decided your passion for, for succession strategies was around family businesses, and if someone would like to get access to you, learn more about what you and Bill, your partner, are up to these days. How do they find you online, Rachel? We are at, obviously, www.succession-strategies.com. I want to thank you for being a permanent part of the radio program each month and bringing us these thoughtful moments of time and discussions. I look forward to what you're going to bring to the broadcast in your May appearance, Rachel. And I want to thank you for being a continued friend of the program. It's always enjoyable having you on the show. Thank you, Rick, and I will talk to you soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our second commercial break. And then when we come back, uh, I will be here, and I believe Dr. Bill Dorfman, our next and third and final guest from Century City Aesthetics Dentistry, will be here on the program. Stay tuned. I got stuff to the right, more stuff to the left. Got enough stuff, but I can't take a step, so I smart stopped. It took a minute to think I need a little better spot, not under the sink. With Smart Stop, I leave the stress at the door, because it's the smarter way to store. Smart Stop bucks the system. Your first month's rent is just a buck. Your next three months are half off. Call 888-97-STORAGE and mention this station. Goodbye clutter, hello floors. Smart Stop, the smarter way to store. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at EnergySavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. 
If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plans and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. The Orange County Business Journal has ranked Commerce National Bank the 26th fastest growing public company in Orange County, and they remain a Bauer Financial five-star institution. President and CEO Mark Simmons attributes this success to how well the bank treats its customers and employees. Commerce National Bank simply delivers personal service at a higher level than its competitors, while offering technology on par with the big banks. If your organization could use a new business bank, call Mary Miller, Senior Vice President, at 949-870-3863 or visit them online at www.commercenatbank.com. That's commercenatbank.com. Give Commerce National a chance to do better than your bank, and they will handle the rest. Welcome back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our third and final guest today is Dr. Bill Dorfman. You know, Dr. Dorfman is known as America's dentist, and his expertise has been sought out by popular TV shows such as Doctors and Extreme Makeover. Dr. Dorfman formed the hugely successful company, Discuss Dental Incorporated, which he later sold to widely recognized Philips Electronics. Dr. Dorfman is going to discuss the future trends in oral care and the new technology uh, to reduce patient exposure to radiation during x-rays. Dr. Dorfman, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show. How are you? We're doing well. Uh, thank you for asking. Let's talk a little bit about you. Tell us about your background, kind of your path to becoming known as America's Dentist. Well, I've actually been practicing dentistry for well over 25 years, and I think the whole America's Dentist thing came out of Extreme Makeover. Um, you know, dentistry never got a very positive rap in the media. You know, Marathon Man, Little Shop of Horrors, all these things were, were pretty horrific for my profession. Yes. And when ABC came up with the concept for Extreme Makeover, it's the first time ever that dentistry was highlighted in a really, really positive way, and we were on primetime TV every single Thursday night. So, you know, that gave dentistry such a huge and uplifting platform for people to see all the things that we could do. I mean, at the end of the day, when patients were nipped and tucked and everything else in the world that happened to them, the one thing that they always said made the biggest difference for them was their smile. And, and that, that was the thing that, that patients really related to, you know, people that watch the show. Um, you know, not everybody's going to see 
you know, a personal trainer or, you know, uh, a nutritionist or any of these things. But, you know, everybody goes to the dentist. So, you know, we got a lot of traction. And I don't know, it just stuck. People, people liked it. You know, you mentioned those two movies, and I think about a scene in uh, Little Shop of Horrors where I think it was Bill Murray who said something like, it's your professionalism I admire. And it was, I, I use that joke, it's out of context now here on the radio show, but it gave me a chuckle when you mentioned the Little Shop of Horrors. So, so thanks for taking me back to a movie that, that I haven't seen in a long time, Dr. Dorfman. Oh, sure. Uh, let's talk about the company that you started and then you were able to successfully have a liquidity event and find a strategic investor and buyer in the form of Philips Electronics. Talk about Discuss Dental. Well, we started Discus Dental back in 1989. I wrote a book called The Smile Guide. And the basic premise was I was doing a lot of cosmetic dentistry at the time. And patients had a very difficult time coming into the office and trying to explain to me you know, how they wanted their smile to look. And there was really no basis for them to, to even start to explain it. So what I did was I made kind of a picture book of different smile styles, and I scientifically categorized them and, you know, came up with this nomenclature so that patients could say, you know, I'd like my teeth to be style number 21 or 28 or whatever it was. And that was kind of the birth of Discus Dental. Uh, a few years later, um, whitening products started coming on the market, and all of a sudden there's this plethora of different whitening products, and I was using a lot of them, but I wasn't really happy with them. They, the, the packaging was bad, the taste was bad, the directions were bad. They, they didn't even look like, like highly polished medical products, let alone cosmetic products. And, you know, I sat there and I thought, you know, these are really cosmetic products. These aren't medical products. And at the time, I started to become very close friends with a man named Robert Heyman. And Robert grew up in the cosmetic industry. His father was Fred Heyman, um, who started Giorgio Cosmetics. And so Robert had that whole background in cosmetics, and I had the background in, in dentistry. And together, we formed Discus Dental's division of tooth whitening. And, you know, over the years, our tooth whitening division became the largest tooth whitening company in the world. Um, we were selling in well over 150 countries worldwide. Um, Night White and Day White were our two flagship products. Uh, later on in about 2001, we launched Zoom, which was the in-office mm -hmm. whitening product. Uh, we later acquired Bright Smile. Um, so we had Zoom, Bright Smile, Night White, Day White, and those were the four together were the, were the four most popular whitening products on the market. And um, that business was really, really thriving. And in 2010, we sold that to Philips. And the reason why this was such a great fit for Philips was Philips has three large divisions. They have the Sonicare toothbrush in their dental division. They have lighting and they have electronics. And in, in their dental division, all of their sales were direct to consumer. So they had very, very small presence in the professional dental market. We, on the other hand, were a professional dental product. We were for sale in dental offices only and had almost zero contact directly to the consumer in a retail market. 
So for Philips to expand their footprint and have real traction in dental offices and in the consumer market, this was a really great acquisition for them. So in 2010, we sold Discus Dental to Philips, and um, the rest is history. As they say, the rest is history. Well, that's a great entrepreneurial story. Thank you for taking us through the details of that. Those are recognized names of brands as well, and so I'm sure many in our audience connect to that story and maybe even now realize they are clients of yours uh, and didn't, didn't know it before the radio show started. You, you mentioned one of the two books that you've written. That you're a published author of at least two books that I'm aware of, Billion Dollar Smile and The Smile Guide. Tell us, why did you write the books? And if someone were to read the books, what would they learn from that experience? Well, The, the Smile Guide is really a professional book. Uh, that book is when you come into my office and you want cosmetic dentistry and you sit down in the chair and you say, Doc, yeah, I'd like to change my teeth. It gives us a platform for you to choose different smile styles, if you want your teeth longer or shorter or rounder or square or whatever. Um, so, so that's a book that you're only going to see in dental offices. Billion Dollar Smile is a consumer book on how to have a beautiful smile. And I wrote this book. I donated all the proceeds to children's charity. And the book was for sale um, through Amazon and everything else. It was a New York Times bestseller. And, in fact, we still have a few thousand copies left. In fact, the only way that you can get a copy of the book is to contact me directly. So if you ever wanted to get the book, you could just um, send us an email. Um, you can send it directly to Dr. Bill at BillDorfman.com. And uh, we can send you a book, and the books are $20, and all the proceeds still go to children's charity. But the idea behind Billion Dollar Smile was this. Uh, Bill Phillips is a friend of mine, and, and, and um, he had this book, Body for Life. And there were a plethora of books out there on losing weight and getting in shape and this and that and the other thing, but nobody had ever written a book about a smile. So, you know, the book tells you how to have a healthful smile. It tells you how to have a beautiful smile. And then inside the book, there are some really fun kind of anecdotal stories about, you know, me treating patients like Ozzy Osbourne and Jessica Simpson and things like that in my office. And, and then there's some really cool before and after cases in the back of the book of patients. Uh, mainly, they were extreme makeover patients, but patients that had some real challenges with their with their dentition that we were able to take care of. You're you're very dedicated to giving back to the community. Um, can you discuss some ways that you've helped those that are less fortunate? Absolutely. Well, um, years ago, I started working with the LA Women's Battered Shelter, um, and I'm currently working with Safe Passages which is you know, a foundation that helps women that are in abusive relationships kind of get their feet back on the ground. And when they go through this process, a lot of these women were beaten so badly that you know, they, they've had their teeth knocked out and things like that. So you know, we donate our services to um, women through Safe Passages and help you know, give them back a smile so they can go out into the workplace. So that's one organization I work with. Another is Tomorrow Trust. Uh, Tomorrow Trust is a foundation in Africa for children. Uh, basically, there's about 3.2 million homeless 
orphaned children in South Africa, and the government does nothing to support them. They basically turn their cheek and say, look, we're sorry. So you have kids that are seven and eight years old that are head of household with five or six younger siblings, and their parents have died most likely of AIDS. It's rampant in South Africa, and and these kids get no support. So what Tomorrow Trust does is they go in and they basically raise these kids. They give them food and shelter as long as they stay in school. So they have to stay in school. And and in a country where more than 80% of the kids that start college don't graduate, 100% of our students from Tomorrow Trust graduate. And when they do graduate, they give back 10% of their income for their first two years after they graduate. So it's a really great program that's perpetuated through through donations and things like that. So I went to South Africa, and I raised uh, roughly $300,000 while I was there. I did a, a seminar for dentists so that they could come and learn about cosmetic dentistry, and uh, then I went to some private institutions and raised money and whatnot. But the thing that I spend the most time with is is the LEAP Foundation. And LEAP is is a motivational leadership program that we do every summer for high school and college kids at UCLA. So basically we'll get 500 students that will come to UCLA. They'll live in the dorm. And we put on a full program where we teach them the skills that they need to be successful in life. Um, time management, money management, um, how to work with mentors. Um, and we bring in some of the most amazing motivational speakers in the country. Uh, this year, the LEAP program will be from July 26th um, through August 4th. Um, actually, the students will arrive on um, Sunday the 28th, and then they'll leave on August 4th. And one of the things that I'm most proud of with the LEAP Foundation is that 60% of the kids that come to the program come in for free. We get money. We, we mm-hmm. give them scholarships. Um, and now's the time to apply. So if you're 15 to 24 and you want to go to the LEAP program this year, go to www.leapfoundation.com, and you can apply right online. Um, This is a program for great students. So, you know, if you're an A or B student, you have a really good chance of getting in. You know, uh, once in a while I get phone calls from parents saying, oh, you know, my, my son's on drugs and he's lost and he's this and he's that and I want to send him the leap and, I, and I'll be very honest and say, you know what, this is not the program for your son. I can't fix in one week what went wrong for 18 years. You know, right. this is a program to help great students become better. And, and we have great results. I mean, um, kids that go through our program, a lot of them come from dental families, so we have a lot of kids that have become dentists going through the program. Um, one young woman who's been through the program twice was voted one of the most successful young businesswomen in Australia. And I have kids wow. from all over the world. It's really cool. It's like a mini UN. We get, uh, we'll have 30 kids from Australia this year. We'll have five kids from South Africa this year. We have kids from Europe, from Canada, from Mexico. Um, and the, the thing that I really love is that a lot of these students become friends for life. 
You know, they, they go to this program and they meet people that they've stayed friends with their whole life. So it, it's a really, really cool program. I've been involved in this program literally for 20 years. Wow. Uh, the precursor to LEAP was another program. The, co- the founder of that program was an, was an older fellow, and he passed away. And for about two years, I sat there saying, you know, this thing is too good to let die. So we, mm-hmm. we revamped the program. We renamed it. We called it LEAP. We made it a nonprofit. We're a registered 501c3, so we are a legal nonprofit. And, again, 60% of the kids that come to our program come on scholarships. So if you're interested or you have, you know, kids that you know between 15 and 24 that could benefit from this program, again, the website is www.leapfoundation.com. And um, you're welcome to go on the site and check it out and, and apply for a scholarship. Um, we're about halfway full already, and I would anticipate in the next two months we'll probably fill up the program. We usually sell out every year, so uh, don't wait too long. But, you know, we get great speakers there. I've had Usher come. I had Seth Green come. I had Paula Abdul, amazing last year, um, and uh, many, many, many others. That's excellent. Uh, with the few minutes that we have left on the program, I did want to ask you, about your current business slash practice, which I understand to be Century City Aesthetic Dentistry. Can you talk about kind of what you're doing in the community now, what the business growth opportunities are, or sort of where you've focused your professional energies at this point in your career? You know, dentistry is a very, very big field. I mean, there are people that specialize in sleep apnea and people that that do sedation dentistry and, and this and that and the other thing. I've really loved cosmetic dentistry. That's always been my niche. I mean, if you go on my website, you can you can go to www.drbilldorfmandds.com or www.extrememakeoverdentist.com. But, um, you know, you can see, I mean, we've been doing, I've been doing cosmetic dentistry for nearly 30 years now, and and I love it. I mean, I don't have to practice anymore. I could, you know, I could spend all my time doing LEAP or doing other things, but, but this is something that's a real passion for me, and I love helping patients get a healthy smile that they're proud of. And uh, today, with the advances in dentistry, there's no reason why somebody should not, you know, have the smile that they want. So, you know, I still practice dentistry. I'm what you call a wet fingers dentist, and I love it. Our practice is growing and thriving, and I have, you know, three other dentists in here, and we work very closely with a great orthodontist who does the lingual braces. So those are the braces that go behind your teeth that you don't even see. And... Um, you know, it, it, it's still fun for me. I, I really enjoy doing it. So, again, if you're interested in cosmetic dentistry or, or you just need general dentistry, you know, you can reach our practice through my website, which is www.drbilldorfmandds.com. Well, Dr. Dorfman, I want to say it was a pleasure having you here on Critical Mass Radio Show for our audience, both the live audience and those that will be picking you up as a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or one of our other podcasting services. Thank you for giving me your time. Thanks for being a friend of the program and continued success with all of your endeavors. Well, thank you, Rick. Have a good day. All right. Goodbye. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Critical Mass Radio Show with our three guests, two doctors, and Rachel Owens. I hope you enjoyed listening to these professional entrepreneurs and, and educators and, and, uh, and others. Hopefully you've taken away some ideas that you can use in your business to help grow. I'd like to thank our engineer, Paul Roberts, our producer, Rachel Franzi, our guest coordinator, Kathleen Shepard, our marketing communications manager, Kelly Faltis. I am your host, Rick Franzi. And until the next time we have a chance to talk, here's hoping that all of your decisions move your business in a positive direction. You're listening to Critical Mass Radio Show right here on octalkradio.net.